0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Those violent scenes at the Capitol a couple weeks ago? They weren't just seen by adults. Kids follow the news too. So, instantly, parents and teachers were asked to explain what was happening and the words kids were hearing, like impeachment, to their children. So, how do you talk to kids about current events that are unprecedented, wild, or just plain scary? Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris is a physician and researcher at Lurie Children's Hospital and Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Dr. Hurd-Garris, welcome to Reset. So happy to be on with you this morning. Doctor, my first question, you know, I think the best adjectives to describe how my two children felt after watching those clips of, of the riots at the Capitol are scared and anxious. I, I still yeah. haven't had a chance to, to really properly have a conversation with them about what they saw. But where do you think I should begin? My, my girls are in middle school for some context.
1: Yeah, that's really that's helpful to know. I think um, not only their ages and their grade level, but also their maturity and their ability to take in and process new information is so important for parents to try to decide where to start, I usually tell parents to start with what the kids know. So asking kids, what have they heard and how are they feeling? Because if they haven't heard anything, you know, you might be introducing something new and scary to them that they weren't even aware of. Right. But if they have heard it, you say, you know, what have you heard and, and, and how are you feeling about it? And kind of starting there. And then you can take the conversation forward
0: based on what they say. The insurrection on Capitol Hill brought about words that, like I said, many kids just don't know or or they have no idea, they they don't understand, like coup, right? We heard that one a lot. Impeachment is another one. How do we break this down?
1: So for kids that um, have seen some of this, this news and understand, like, hey, there are some bad things that have happened, for me, it's important to talk to them about how our democracy is supposed to work. And the things that happen under normal circumstances and then where this went wrong. You know, even my seven-year-old, I heard him talking at the dinner table the other day about impeachment and how, you know, Trump would like another voter recount and all of these things that I didn't even think at seven he was aware of all these concepts. (laughs) So I talked to him with what is normal, like what is supposed to happen, and then what happened this time and what went wrong, and what that means for our country that this has happened. I think kids also need some hand-holding through that, because if they think, oh, this is going to happen every day, what do we live in? You know, what kind of place do we live in? It can be really scary. Yeah.
0: Some children are so young that they've only known Donald Trump as president, while the rest of us are well aware that this hasn't been your typical presidency. Uh, you know, how do we tell our kids that these recent actions that you're seeing coming from the White House, this isn't typical, this isn't acceptable or or normal?
1: Right. So I try to break things down into circumstances that they would understand. So I talk to them about like how a classroom works, because they're usually prior to pandemic, I guess, they're usually really familiar about what happens and what the rules are and what happens when you go outside of the rules. So whether that, you know, you, you get in trouble or there's some sort of consequence, that happens as a, as a result of not following the teacher's rules. Mm-hmm. I kind of use those analogies. So, you know, the rules weren't followed, uh, right? And so these might be some of the consequences that happen because the rules weren't followed. Our democracy is supposed to work this way, but that didn't happen. So this is what's going to happen now, or this is what we expect will happen now, because, of course, we can't know.
0: Right. You know, this reminds me of the Mr. Rogers neighborhood episode Um, (laughs) after President Robert Kennedy got uh, assassinated. The show put a lot of thought and intention into helping kids process difficult events like this. Here's a moment from that episode.
1: What does assassination mean? Have you heard that word a lot today? Yes.
0: And I didn't know what it meant. Well, it means
1: somebody getting killed in a a sort of surprise way. That's what happened,
0: you know. That
1: man killed that other man. I know, and a lot of people are talking about it right now. Too many people are talking about it.
0: Mr. Rogers famously tackled thorny topics like the Gulf War, 9-11, the Challenger disaster, mm-hmm. his philosophy was that we shouldn't cover kids' eyes around bad events like these, and we're to teach them that bad things do happen, and here's how you process them. Well, what's your take on that? It sounds very similar to, to your theory that you were explaining earlier.
1: I agree. You know, I think that um, when bad things happen, it's our job as parents and those who care for kids to try to help them make sense of a world that often doesn't make sense. And so part of that is giving them not only the facts of what happened, but the context, the, the broader strokes of what that means in ways that they can understand. So there, you know, you heard a kid talking about what is assassination and someone trying to explain it in very lay terms and not saying, you know, well, when a president is, you know, and starting from the, the very high level, you're breaking it down for kids in a way that they can understand. But I do agree that you should tell them the facts mm-hmm. um, as much as they you think they can handle. So not lying to them, not sugarcoating it, but being honest because they're going to look to you, you know, and if they find out something else, they're going to wonder why you lied to them or why you weren't honest and why you were covering something up. So I think it's important to try to be as honest as possible within the confines of, you know, their age and their maturity.
0: So some of the videos and and the images from the events on January 6th were quite graphic, Doctor. Do we know how images of violence impact different age groups? You talk about keeping it age appropriate.
1: Right. So I really try to limit news images for young kids. So I would say, you know, younger than middle school for sure. Uh, I think. Those images for five and six year olds, even you know seven and eight year olds, are really very hard to see. I mean, even for adults, they're hard to see. But when they get middle school to junior um, high school or high school age, chances are they've you know they might be on social media or they might have witnessed them themselves. And so, if they're going to watch those types of news images, I think it's important to sit there with them so that you can kind of narrate and give a play by play, or watch it before if you have DVR and then you're you know what's coming what to expect so yeah. how to hold their hand through it and talk through it yeah. because otherwise they're going to see it or, or experience it somewhere else and you want it to be in the safety of of your um, of your home or your conversation
0: yeah they are most definitely all on social media which is so different than the way you know we were raised back back when we were kids you mentioned news and limiting that what, what do you think is the media's responsibility or role here in, in how these events are covered when it comes to protecting kids?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. I think um, some of the rating system has been helpful for certain TV programs. But with news, you never know what's going to um, come up until they say, you know, breaking news, this is what's going on, and then showing an image. I really appreciate it when news anchors or people who are reporting the news says, hey, you know, this may not be appropriate for young kids. So I do think there is some responsibility with respect to who's reporting the news to help us make sense of what our kids should be watching right before it comes on or not. I mean, we can do our best, but sometimes they're exposed to things that we do not want them to be exposed to. So if the news can be partners with parents and partners with caregivers in telling us, hey, Trigger warning, you you know, you may not want young kids to be in the room when this comes on. That can be so, so helpful. And then making sure that we're not perpetuating images that are inherently graphic or those that are um, scary in the daytime where kids might actually be able to see them and trying to save those images to either not at all or to Mm -hmm. um, nighttime when hopefully a lot of kids are sleeping.
0: Doctor, the Black Lives Matter protests last summer, they sparked a lot of conversation, especially among white American families, about racism and racial injustice and police brutality, some of that happening for the first time in those households. Meanwhile, many black families and other minorities had already been having those kinds of conversations. Can you talk about the difference in how kids of color are processing the recent events compared to their peers?
1: That's a great question because I think conversations about race have been happening in um, households of color for centuries. This summer was unique for, I think, both families of color and also white families because of the persistent and continued images, not only outside of our doors, but on TV and on social media and in places that other movements have not necessarily had the benefit of that, type of coverage so while those conversations have been happening uh, years and years i think at this time it was different though for for families of color i think white families may have had the conversation for the first time hey this is the state of our of our country this is what's going on this is what you can do to help which is what i hope people were saying Mm -hmm. and um folks of color might have been saying hey, yeah, this has been going on for centuries, and I know that you witnessed mom get pulled over or dad, whatever, last year. This is a part of a bigger system. So I think the conversations... Uh, while they've been happening have probably been changing as a result of what happened this summer. And I think for some kids, especially kids of color might've been more triggering in a way than other conversations have been in the past because just because of those images and thinking, Ooh, that could happen to me. And that's the scariest part for many kids.
0: You work with, with kids on a regular basis at Lurie. And I imagine you've had to be the bearer of bad news around health tell us, you know, how you handle those moments and, and if you've ever had a learning moment where you recognized that a one-size-fits-all approach doesn't necessarily work and you've had to sort of tweak things for a particular child.
1: So I study adverse childhood experiences at my work at Lurie and Northwestern and what that really means is when something, you know, when an adverse circumstance an adversity or an hardship happens in childhood or in teenagehood, And how that impacts health. And part of that is understanding racism and racial discrimination and structures that impact health. And so last summer has been particularly um, difficult because every, you know, parent that I've seen that walked into my office, I'm like, not only Black Lives Matter, but also COVID-19. How are you? No, like, really, how are you? How is your family? How are you doing? Because understanding that these experiences outside of the walls of the hospital or the clinic impact health in a way that not only, you know, your blood pressure and your medicines do, but also these social experiences. So I've been really trying to work hard to understand for all the families that I see, how can we help you? Do you need food? Do you you know what's going on with school? Because those things do impact health, not to mention um, the images that kids have seen, right? And they've seen on TV and trying to understand for them, like, could that happen to me and walking them through what they can do to have a proactive approach so that they don't t- turn that helplessness, which comes with those images, into helplessness, anxiety, and depression versus turning that into activism and to helping.
0: We're delivering such sensitive, important information. What should we be hearing back from them?
1: Yeah, so if you're concerned that your your child is withdrawn and, and sad or uh, is acting differently, I think you should talk to your child's primary care physician, absolutely. But otherwise, you're looking for engaging conversation and questions. Welcome questions and try to answer those questions for kids.
0: That's Dr. Nia Hurd garris a physician and researcher at Lurie Children's Hospital and Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Thanks for making time for us.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: At this difficult time in our country's history, it's more important than ever to find new sources that bring you truth, facts, and a variety of perspectives and ideas. We work hard to bring you all of those things every day on Reset, and we're glad you're here. For more Reset, head to our archives at wbez.org slash reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again soon.